All right. Welcome back to our study or our conversations, if you will, more of a conversation than a study, as we look at the first epistle of John. I'm Phil Robertson, joined by Dr. Mark Lloyd, retired doctor. How's that feeling? Uh, that feels great. It really does. Yeah. I'm enjoying this immensely. A little tennis uh, today? A little tennis this, af- this afternoon. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, good. Yeah. Good. Getting in a few rounds. Yeah. How's the elbow? Is it good? No, it's not the elbow. It's the shoulder. Oh, the shoulder. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Have to, have to work on it a little bit. All right, all right. Well, hey, that's all. It's a good retirement yes. if you're a little sore like that. Yes. Uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Uh, for those of you that have been following along with us, you know we're actually really in the heart of the matter as we look at this epistle from John, and John is really just speaking to us as a father, isn't he? Yes, he is. And pleading with us to just understand that. Uh, We're not only not alone, but we're special in the eyes of God. In fact, why don't we just begin there? One of the the things uh, that these early Christians were dealing with, especially at this time, late in the first century, was Gnosticism. We've been talking about that uh, many times, that that was kind of a prevailing false doctrine of the day. And more than likely, I would say John is alluding to the fact that many Christians— we're probably feeling belittled yes. by these false teachers, and John feels compelled to lift them up. And so he uses some language in here to remind them that, no, you are special. You you have more than you realize, and don't let these so-called uh, super apostles, as you might say, uh, if you look at it from 2 Corinthians and Paul's point of view, don't, don't let them put you down. No. And, and when you read uh, verse 18 through 29 in 1 John 2 and then start in chapter 3 and really go to the end of this chapter. If you're not feeling special for all that the Lord has done for us and even calling us children of God, just just dwell on that just right. a minute. You can be called children of God and that should make you special. And he is, uh, he is persuading these brethren Feel good about this. Uh, do not let the Gnostics put you down or, or seemingly lower you on a scale because they're saying how much smarter they are than you. They have this special knowledge of God, and because they have that, number one, they can live whatever, however they want to, and you're you're down here trying to live a righteous life. You guys just don't have it. You, you need right. to be up here with us. And John is saying, absolutely not. You cannot live like they are living. And number two, you are special. Well, and you, you can see with the way they're living in the idea of practicing sin, not walking yes. in righteousness like we talked about last week, and, and the way that they treated one another, which we're definitely going to get in today, uh, to today when we look at the second half of chapter three. But one other thing I would throw out to you is when we went back to chapter two, and you and I were talking about this before we began, is that in chapter 2 and in verse 20, we're all reminded, and this is John's point, that we've been anointed by the Holy One. We've been anointed by the Lord. And, and that's the idea. Of, you think of Samuel anointing David. Yes. Boy, you, you had to know you're special if, if a prophet comes up to you and pours the oil okay. on your hand and, and gives you that kind of commission. Well, in similar language, John's saying, you've been anointed. You've been anointed. Christians, all of us, have been anointed by the Lord. That makes us very special. Right. And all the special things that God, Jesus, has done for you, um, coming to earth, dying for you, 
giving us the Holy Spirit, uh, giving us his word, you need to feel special. Right. All of these anointings, this is something being poured onto you. That's what, that's what Samuel did. He poured oil on kings. Um, that's what kings get when they are anointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have something given to them, poured upon them, uh, making them, uh, identifying them. They go from being average yeah. to this. That's right. They've been lifted up. They, in a way. they have been mm-hmm. lifted up, and all the things mm-hmm. that uh, Jesus has done for us should make us feel very special. All right. Well, let's get into it now. We're in First John chapter three, verse eleven, and and just real quick as a review. We're, we're dealing with what Paul, I'm sorry, what John is acknowledging is how you identify those who are in or out. And more importantly, he's dealing with these Gnostics. And how do we know that they're not pleasing to the Lord? They're practicing sin. That's right. They are practicing sin. And then beginning in verse 11, he's going to mention something that he's actually already mentioned before. He's really going to harp on yeah. a little bit later in the letter is they're not loving the brothers. Well, he transitions that in verse 10 right. and how he how well he does that. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. All right, you've got two groups here, right. children of God, children of the devil. You've seen that up in the first 10 verses of chapter 3. Children of God practice righteousness, attempt to become pure. The children of the devil are practicing sin. And oh, by the way, by definition, that means lawlessness. lawlessness. They are they without law. Violating right. the law, living without law. Yeah. And now I'm going to transition into that and say in verse 10, nor the one who does not love his brother. Look how quickly he changed that subject. Uh, you are a child of God or the child of the devil based upon how you feel about your brother. Not only the life you are living but it's how you act towards your brothers. And now he's going to go into a a dissertation on that for the next few verses (laughs) in showing the extreme and then the practicality of it. And he's going to say, and we're saying now as we look at this, where are we with our love of our brethren? Uh, Where are we in these passages? All right, let's read it. This is 1 John chapter 3, and instead of beginning in verse uh, 11, I'll go to 10. How's that for you? I'll get 10 in there for you. By this, it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love, who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
you know, I find it interesting that he takes us back to the first brotherly relationship, uh, and not just the first brotherly relationship in the Bible, but the first brotherly uh, relationship between Cain and Abel. And, and he explains to us, here's why Cain killed Abel. Because what? Abel offered the Lord was righteous. He said they were, one's deeds were evil and the other's were righteous. One brother's was righteous. Now that's interesting. How do we know that? Well, we know it by their offering, wouldn't we? You well, know, and that they we, obeyed how, God. How, how do we know that? that that's the thing. Mm-hmm. We, apparently, Jesus, or God, excuse sure. me, had said uh, to these brothers, this is what I want. And so Abel does the first fruits of, of his flock. Well, uh, Cain, I, I'm, I'm growing seed. I, I'm doing produce. So I'll just take of my my first, right. and apparently that's not what God had asked. Right. Well, if you even if you look at it from the Hebrews writer point of view, by faith Abel. Yes. Uh, well, faith comes by hearing, exactly. hearing the word so of God. So the Lord had said something to them, and so uh, all John is doing here is just jumping to that and saying, "Well, since since Cain did not do what God had said, his deeds were evil." And that ought to be saying something to well, us. And, and if you go back, you know, if you go back to Genesis 4, you know, it, Cain was angry. Yes. He, he knew God did not like his sacrifice, and God was pleased with Abel's. And, and God gives him the warning, Cain, be careful. You know, sin is crouching. Yes. Sin is at the door. In fact, the Lord, the Lord can chance. see his heart. He, yes. Yeah. He'd given him a chance right there. Yeah. And... and he was already committed to evil. I mean, he's got God telling him, look, uh, you can change your ways. Uh, and, and so change. Well, he doesn't listen to God. He listens to his own heart, which was a heart of evil, a heart of the devil. And that's interesting to me. We're talking a second generation person here. We have parents, Adam and Eve, who sin. And sin comes into the world. And then how quickly sin takes over one of the two brothers. Well, and, and what else is to me so moving by this is not only does he take his life, the life of his brother, but he took the life of his brother because his brother was righteous. Yes. There was hatred there. And, and John's going to bring that out to us. And I think John's speaking from, again, the understanding of the Gnostics and the way the Gnostics are making Christians feel. Don't be surprised they hate you. Yes. Cain hated Abel yes. because he was righteous. Yes. The world hates you not because they have a good reason. Their their reason is you're righteous. That right. that creates a bitterness uh, within their heart. Now, I, I think it's also kind of interesting when you look at the comparison here uh, that he points out to us is, you know, he murdered him. Well, is that a fair comparison to make to us today when we don't love our brother? Is it murder? Well, it's on how you look at it. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, yes. if you hate your brother, then you've murdered him in your heart. Uh, you look at it from James' point of view. In James 3, where he talks about, you know, the tongue is a fire. You ever, you, we hear a phrase like tongue lashing. Well, we murder people. We yeah. slay people with gossip and with our tongue. And, and, and so John here is saying, no, Christians don't do that. No, Christians don't do that. They love their brethren. Another point to make here with this righteousness, 
What's wrong with righteousness? That's the point I want to make. A person who's living a righteous life, what are they doing that incenses people? You're loving other people. You're treating other people well. You're doing right. You're forgiving. You're forgiving. You're doing all the good things that should make another person feel better. So to me, righteousness is more of an intimidation to the one who is not living that way. He's making himself, it's making you look bad. And that's what they dislike. They don't want to stop doing what they're doing. But if it's in comparison, guess who looks bad? It's the guy that's not living righteous. I need to get rid of the righteous guy so I feel better about about myself myself. and I feel better about... Because living righteous... People who say, well, you know, you're an old fuddy-duddy, old term. You're a goody-two-shoes. Yeah, that's are. right. And so what's wrong with that? That's that's my whole well, point. Why, why would that make somebody mad? Why would, why would that they make somebody yeah. mad? Because yeah. you are bending over backwards to make whoever you're dealing with feel good. Yeah. Now, here's one thing, though, that I think John points out to all of us is, even if we are loving the brethren like we should now, we didn't always. No. We, we've passed. We've changed. Verse 14, he uses kind of what you would consider to be death to eternity terminology. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Well, really when that happens is when we die to this world and we go on to live eternally with the Lord, we have, we have made that transition there. John says, no, you have actually made the transition here on earth when you pass from that man who's dead in sin, and you've now been raised to walk in newness of life, you have crossed over, you have passed over, and so it's used kind of figuratively. Well, I think uh, it is spiritual, John, spiritual you know? death, spiritual life, yet I think it's also this, this could be physical death in the sense of you are now out of the grasp of spiritual death, or physical death. Physical death should not have any fear in your heart now because if you die physically what happens that's another way to look at it you're still going into spiritual life i.e you have eternal life with the father so even if something happens to you physically you still have eternal life I, i really think it is spiritual death and spiritual life here because well i think that's what it says in romans 6 sure you are you've been buried in with Christ in baptism, you're raised to walk in newness of life. You're you're not the old man anymore. You do not have that that physical death that you have to, or spiritual death you have to be concerned about. Well, and it's made manifest that transition in us. Life is made manifest in us, and we know that we have this life because of how we treat others, exactly, and how that we love everybody. Now, let's let's segue into that because I think that's important too. Love here is not ambiguous. No. All right. And so I think it's important uh, for us to understand that when he talks about loving your brothers, when he talks about loving, he's not using this in the very common worldly sense of love. Because even Jesus tells us, and again, in the Sermon on the Mount, even the Gentiles or even the ungodly know how to love one another. They've got that down. We can love people who love us. We can love people who are easy to love. That's an easy expression. This love, and when he talks about loving your brothers, he's putting this love in the definition of how Jesus and the Lord loves us. Yes. This is a harder 
love. This is but a commandable love. Right. It's, that, that's yeah. the whole point. I can't command somebody to phileo. I get somebody. I can't command somebody, well, you love that person. Yeah. I.e., you know, have that emotional feeling towards that person. That's nowhere in Scripture. This is as, as far as a commandment, except for husband and wife. Sure, sure. That, that, that one you do need to have that phileo love. But in this case, th- this is saying this is a commandable love. This is something you can learn. Well, and it, and it requires, though, a learning aspect to it. It's like Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. In other words, there is an action, there is a submission that goes along with it. Uh, no greater love is anyone than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And other, again, it's a sacrificial love. John actually brings that out here yeah. uh, in the same way. It requires sometimes effort to love like this. It's not always easy. Well, I think he's saying here, okay, here, this was an extreme case. Jesus laid his, down his life for us. Right. In an extreme case, you need to be able and willing to lay down your life uh, for your brethren. Now, we're all scrambling saying, oh, we can easily say, oh yeah, I'd, I'd die for him, I'd die for him. And he said, okay, let's make this, bring this back a little bit, and let's make this practical. Let's see how practical. It's not every day you get to take a bullet for a friend, right. but, but how about every day? Now let's make this a practical practice. How how are you doing with your practical practice of godly love? Yeah, speaking with grace. Yes, uh, showing kindness even when kindness is not reciprocated. Right. Uh, the idea of of loving truly, not just with the mouth. That's right. But as he concludes this thought in word or deed. Well, and very simply, if you see a brother in need. You give to it. You have to give to it. You're giving up. You're, again, I think that goes back to the sacrificial part, you yeah. know, clearly. But he's, but he's also saying that's how you're demonstrating this agape, this, right. this commandable love. And so I know that's the right thing to be doing because that's what God wants me to be doing. That's one. But two, I need to be doing that for my brother. That, that should be my emotion. That should be my life of looking to see where I can help those who are in need because I have the world's goods. He's using that here uh, as an example. Right. If you've got food, you're helping people with food. If you've got clothing, you're helping people with clothing. Um, that's the godly person. You know, there's almost a, a parallelism here or laying along aside two stories. You have a brother who takes life. And then you have the brother through Jesus who gives life. You have the brother who murders and then the brother who surrenders. And and Jesus says through John's words here, this is your kind of love. This is who you are. And that's the evidence. Go back to verse 14 again, passing out of death into life. The evidence that we've passed from death to life is how we treat other people. Exactly. How do we love our brother? Well, he gives an example. Jesus told us uh, just before he died that this is the new commandment I'm giving you. It, we've ratcheted up this level of love now. You've had from the beginning, love your neighbor as yourself. Now I'm give, demonstrating to you the kind of love that you have. I'm willing to give my life for my friends. Where are you on that scale of love? Now let me ask you this. Uh, is he just... When he says brothers, talking about brethren in the church? Uh, 
You mean Jew to Jew? I'm not understanding. I'm talking exactly. about when he says love oh, your you, brethren. Uh, you, this is the kind of it. Is he just talking about loving fellow Christians, or is he using brothers here in a broader sense? Am I willing to give my life for the person standing on the corner? Is that what you're referring That's what to? I'm just, saying. just mankind. Well, see, to me, I, I take this when when we look at this. If you go back again to the Sermon on the Mount, perfect love is to love those, even those who hate you. Yes. And and I think, obviously, in a very dramatic way here, the example is Jesus laying down his life. But the idea of one who truly learns to love as the Father loves and to be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect, as Jesus encourages us to be, we show this attitude toward all men. Yes, we, we show I, this benevolence. We show this uh, willingness to give. We show this love toward all. We are not respecters of persons. In other words, when you really want to say that we've passed from death to life is when we said, I want to be just like my Lord. I want to act like him, talk like him, give like him, love like him. And, I, and to me, John is using Jesus as the example here in reminding all of us you know, how does God's love abide in him? Well, it, it abides when we live like the Lord wants us to live and like he is. And that may be an extrapolation from the passage, and that's certainly from Scripture. But in this passage here, he's telling brethren in their relationship to brethren. So you see this more as a, a John 15, that you'll, by this the world will know that you're from me. He brought you love one this, another. This, this to these people, uh, they need to be feeling for their own brethren more or maybe better than they have been, or they're concerned, do I love my brother enough? Because they may be telling by, being told by the Gnostics, no, you, you don't really love your brothers. That's not how you act. That's not how you're supposed to be, be loving your brother. In fact, you don't even need to love your brother. Well, I think so, that would certainly fit the context overall of there's not yeah, love within the church. Exactly. You have this Gnosticism, this higher knowledge, exactly. and this conflict. Okay. Let's read on. Verses 19 to the end of the chapter. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. Right. I'm going to ask you. <laughs> oh, here we go. I shouldn't have paused. That was my you fault to pause. I'm going to start talking never, right now and not I, let up. We've got just a few more minutes here. I'm just going to filibuster you. I, I understand. But, but I'm going to ask you now. How does our heart condemn us and, yeah. and, and God oversteps that? Well, now Basically, this, that's yeah, what that passage well, that's is saying. That's actually what it's saying. But, you know, I, I mean, you give you this simple... I, I want to simple, hear yours now. Very I'll tell you what simple. I think. Oh, great. That's what you want to do. I see where you're going with this now. Well, I, I look at it from the standpoint. Clearly, our heart condemns us. It gives us a way. The Lord can read our heart. 
He sees and peers into our hearts. But one of the greatest things that I have working in my favor is that the Lord knows my heart. I think back to when Jesus was with Peter and they're having that conversation, the breakfast where he asked him three times, do you love me? And, and Peter, I believe, appeals to this concept. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And I think what Peter's actually appealing to is, okay, don't look at everything I do. Look into my heart. We kind of sing that song, listen to our hearts. Listen to our, listen hearts. To our hearts. And 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 to me, that's part of what John is appealing to here. God is greater than the heart. He knows everything. All right. Uh, and and that's to me a comforting thought. Now, if we don't have anything within our heart and we're oh, that's great. But that's not always the case. All right. What's your thoughts? Uh, I think he's saying just that. He's saying, all right, I've, I've given you an extreme example, and I've given you a practical example. Now, you brethren who are reading this may be saying, yikes. Yikes. Have I lived up to what, how I should be living? Very quickly, I would be saying, I may not be doing enough. God may be saying yeah. to me, uh, you know, condemning me because I, I just may not have done enough. I'm, I may have not done this to the brother as I should, or I may not be feeling as I should towards brethren, and being ready to help them. This passage is saying, number one, you need to readjust how you're thinking. Sure. But number two, God goes deeper than that, just as you were saying. God goes deeper in your heart. He truly knows you. And so if your heart quickly is saying to yourself, you know, I may not have been doing enough, God, rest assured, God does know if you've been doing enough, and he, all he's going to be doing is encouraging you to do more as you see the opportunity. Uh, now I've told you this, you be willing to behave like a brother should be behaving. Yeah. Uh, and so they may have had to readjust how they were acting and doing. He's saying here, God knows your heart. Yeah. God does know your heart. And we need to be happy he does know our heart because he may be going some below some of those pettiness that we may be having, which we need to get rid of. But yeah, no, John's he, not John's no, not justifying no, bad behavior no, here. No, he's but, not justifying. But he also he wants these brethren to have confidence. Yes. He's not trying to beat them yeah. down. It, this letter's not written to the Gnostics, although indirectly they'll see it. But it's he may be brethren. He may be saying here, I may just have said something to you that you quickly may be judging yourself not willing or not worthy. Okay. And I'm telling you very quickly, no, that's not the case. Because he's saying here, us, we, right. guess what, guys? I've been in the same position. We's a yeah, we. Yeah, yeah. I, I may, we includes I me. may not be behaving or have behaved in yeah. times past towards my brethren as I should. And I've got to do better at that. But this is a we here. It's not you. It's a we. You know, uh, one thing Mosley says often, you know, with her speaking of confidence, do you love the Lord? Yeah. Do you do your best and long to keep his commandments? Yeah. Do you love their brethren and you want their best interests? Yeah. You're good. Yeah. You're good. But you do that day to day to day to day. Yeah. You don't say that in the past. Oh, I was I, good. I yeah, was no, not. Hey, no, I've, and I, I've done okay. Yeah. At time, yeah. You know, I can sit back now. I, I've done my good deeds. No, this is an ongoing process 
as we have breath, this is how we are supposed to be living our lives. Well, and, and in concluding it, verse 24 there, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. Your home is with God, and God is in him. And by this we know, there's that know again, just like when you go back to the beginning of chapter 3, we, we know he abides in us. And we have that confidence through His yes. Spirit, through His Word. That's right. Yeah. And you and I know that today through the Word. Yeah. That's how we know it. And we know that the Spirit indwells us today through the Word. Yeah. And I would not know that. I would not know that if I wasn't told by Scripture that God had done that for me. Mm-hmm. But that should be a comforting thought to me that the in, that the Spirit indwells me, however... You know, there's the debate whether this is an active indwelling or a passive indwelling, whatever. Uh, just understand the Spirit indwells us, and He's been given to us. You are special, and the Word of God tells us that. And, and, and it's, it's, it's the Word and the Spirit, but on our level, it's our brother and apostle John. Yes. Who's sitting right across from each and every one of us right now speaking to us as his own little children, you're good. That's right. You live live a sinless, i.e., not practicing sin. You live a sinless life. You love your brethren. You have the knowledge, that knowledge that Jesus, back up in in, uh, verse 23, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he has come to earth, and died for us, that he has been resurrected from the dead and is in heaven again. If you have that knowledge and are trying to live the life that you're supposed to live, that the Word has shown us that we need to live and love our brothers, you're in good shape. Yeah, and so it's really kind of the test here. Uh, How do I know? I'm, I'm into the Word of God, and I'm listening to His commands. I'm practicing righteousness. I'm striving to love my brother. That's right. That's it. That's it. That's it. And then, actually, beginning with chapter 4, he's going to talk more about testing the oh, Spirit. Yes. So we'll get into that. And we'll we say, say that we have the time. Spirit. Okay, let's, we'll let's see. see. We'll, we'll see. see. Here's your test. Yeah, Here's right. your test. Hey, man, that was a great study. Yes. You did good. Thank you. Appreciate you. you did real good. <laughs> and thanks for trying to stump the teacher there. I, I appreciate that. I'm glad I, I hope I passed. Yeah, you, you did well. well. Thank you for throwing that on me there. I was thinking you were going to throw it on me. That's <laughs> when <laughs> so you got to it first. I'll learn my lesson to pause next time when we're reading. Uh, we just want to share with everybody. It's been so good to see everybody back at services. We're uh, seeing folks we haven't seen in a while. And I, I think it's good to see more and more people feeling comfortable getting out. And we hope that that continues. Yes. And so, uh, but if you have anything that you need from us, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, let us know. We're still trying to do all we can to stay in touch with people the best we can, but but please don't hesitate to reach out to us if you need anything. You got anything else? Well, and we do thank those who have responded to us. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. We've had people come to us and say uh, how much they're enjoying the lesson and how, how good it has been for them, and so we appreciate that. Yeah, and we appreciate people's insights, everybody's insights with respect to services and getting together and yes. your thoughts there. Uh, really appreciate it. Just really nice, nice, very helpful uh, communication. So thank you for that. Anything else? No. All right. Well, thank you so very much for joining us. And we're going to leave you with kind of an elder's blessing here, the blessing that comes from John. 
that you have the confidence John wants you to have, that you have your confidence in these words and listen to what John is saying to us so that we can live with that blessed hope. Yep. Amen. All right. Thanks so much. God bless you. Good night, brother.